start today with a story that actually I think has nothing to do. I just popped into my head this morning. It was from yesterday. It has nothing to do with the scriptures that we're going to talk about today or, or the general gist of, of the messages that have been going on for the last few weeks. But it has everything to do, everything to do with how any of it ever happens. So we played in a softball tournament yesterday in uh, Davison. And we played against some really, I mean, we have a really good team that plays on the Saturdays. They're not all church on the street folks. Not that the church on the street folks aren't good softball players. Some of them are. Not all of them. But these were like really good teams, you know, young, athletic, big churches with lots of guys to pick from. Some of them, you know, just one guy from the church and ringers that they bring in and we're playing this one team that's like and I don't know that they were ringers but they were all young you know full uniform athletic fast hit the ball real hard kind of guys and we were in the field and uh, they had a guy coming from first base to second base and the ball came to our shortstop and he started to run towards second base to touch it himself and he took probably three steps in that direction and then he decided for whatever reason to just throw it to the guy that was covering the base who he did, caught it, you know, beat the runner by probably a couple of steps. He was out by a mile. And the umpire called him safe. And one of our guys like, what do you mean safe? He was out by a mile. He said, no, you never touched the base. The original guy that had the ball, he never saw him throw it. He said, you never touched the base. He said, I didn't touch the base because I threw the ball. The guy was out by a mile. Everybody on the other team knew he was out by a mile. Everybody knew he was out by a mile. Not a one of them said a word. One of our guys looked to the runner. He said, come on, you know you were out. He said, hey, how do I know? I can't tell. As we were, after they were ultimately all out for that inning, you know, and, and we were coming in, one of our guys made a comment to one of their guys, you know, like that was really Bush or something like that. And I'm, man, I wish you hadn't have done that. Well, that stirred up, it was a stumbling block. It stirred up all this yuckiness from their team towards, oh, yeah, they, they clobbered us. I think they might have even mercyed us. They were that good. And they were like, eh, you know, if you think you're, you want to blah, 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 you should hit the ball better. And all, you know, all this nonsense started. Then when the game ended, you know, praise God, we came together and we prayed. And the guy that prayed was the guy that was really like jamming on us the hardest after our guy made that one little comment about that, thing being bush and he prayed father god that we would be your witness that that we would bring honor and glory to your name and i thought holy smokes i mean wow you are so missing it you know but the deal is that his mind is renewed to the place where he recognizes how valuable it is because in his prayer right maybe he was even abiding in christ at that moment how important it is that we would honor God with our personal, our life witness. But when he was tested, he fell badly. And everything we're going to talk about today, I mean, if there's anything that tests me, it's money, right? I mean, money tests me. I know people that it sure appears to me have gotten past that test, and and they're so surrendered in the area of finances. Um, But I'm not all the way surrendered there yet. There's a tension in my thinking that I think is probably godly to some extent, but also just conviction to some extent as well, as I try to become a disciple in the areas of everything, which includes money, and the renewing of the mind, 
right? The transformation that happens by the renewing of the mind is the root. It's the foundation of anything in the kingdom that changes. It's what causes the soldier to stop being a person that would, by common sense, run in this direction when the bullets are coming from that direction to turn and go towards the danger, not away from the danger, because the mind is transformed. Okay. Um, start in First Timothy. We're going to talk just, last week was kind of about money in our hearts. You know, how, how, how does money get us in our hearts? And really, this is a continuation on that conversation, as well as just some scriptures that point out, not money, not, we're going to read it in a second, money is not evil. But all these emotions and all these desires and all these lusts and all this coveting that's rooted in money and the things that money can get us is really bad stuff. And that's kind of the topic for today is to see the scriptures that speak to those things, ask the Holy Spirit to make that real inside of us, and then sincerely pray to be transformed by the renewing in our minds such that mammon would not be our master, that the Lord would be our master. So we'll start in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. If you don't have your Bible, look at the screen as I read these. There is, in, in this little sentence or two is so much. So Paul is instructing his son Timothy, his son in the faith, not his, his biological son, but his son in the faith, Timothy, how to instruct a church that he's been given care over. He says, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith faith, and pierced themselves with many griefs. So Paul is trying to tell his guy Tim, who Timothy is like, Paul loves Timothy like a father loves a son. Paul loves Timothy like he's, it almost feels like, you know, when Paul, if he were to pass on his mantle, he would have passed his mantle like Elijah did to Elisha, like that mantle is passed through the words that we read on to Timothy. And he's telling him that people that try to get rich, people whose goal is to get rich, and honest, I was that guy for most all of my life. To some extent, I'm the guy just trying to stay rich a little bit, you know. The guy that sets his goal on being rich is going to cause himself so many problems they might wander away from the faith it's the 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 love the desire the passion the the lusting the coveting of money and the things that money can get us could cause us to literally walk away from the faith it's the root of many 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 kinds of evil because it's so into selfishness when when i was at hp we had a, a performance system, right? Everybody got a performance evaluation once a year, and in your once-a-year performance, your boss gave you a rating. A five was the best you could be. A one didn't mean, probably meant that the next conversation was, I hope you find a nice job, you're done here. The ratings, if everybody in HP was a perfect employee, if everybody in HP made every one of their goals, only 10% of them could be rated a five. And some percentage of them had to be rated a one. That creates an environment that causes people to compete, right? Not help each other. So if I'm doing great and my associate's not doing great, I have an opportunity to be five to their four or four to their three. My love for what that five brings me, which is a big raise, which is the adoration, the, the, the 
attaboy, I can't think of the words I'm trying to find, accolades, thank you, accolades of, of everybody around me caused me to do things that would be contrary to the faith because now I'm considering myself more important than I consider other people. In the kingdom, I should be doing everything I can to help both of us to become a five. But HP's system was set such that that would never be the case if you didn't have a greater calling. Like the guy that prayed the prayer, Lord, let our witness be awesome to your glory and your honor, and then not be that way at all when tested under the pressure of a stupid softball game. Pierced themselves with many griefs. A little further along in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, he's told to instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Riches, worldly riches, the things that eventually are going to rust and moths are going to eat them up, that stuff has no eternal value unless it's used for the purpose of the kingdom, right? So if God makes me a rich, rich man, is, is it for me to be poor but rich in giving? Maybe. It's interesting in 2 Corinthians where he's exhorting uh, Paul, the Corinthian church, to, the, the rich Corinthian church, to be like the poor Macedonian church in their giving to the even poorer Jerusalem church. He, he tells them that it's like, hey, listen, you just give with what you have to give. Give in proportion to what you have. Not so that you're rich and they're poor, so that they can be rich and that you can be poor, but this inequity, this injustice of hungry people and bloated, not bloated, you know what I mean, overfed people, isn't God's will. You have to give some so that there can be some equality in at least the fundamental basics of life. Those of you that are rich, and, and on the world scale, it's all of us. However poor you feel, however you wonder about how much you're going to make your next house payment, in, in the scale of the world, we're the wealthiest couple percent probably, maybe in the top 5%, the poorest of us. We have no idea what real, true poverty feels like. And, and he wants us to understand that, that the objective is not to build up these riches, right? He's teaching all these things in First Timothy, and, and then in James, it's interesting to me, it's almost like, He's talking to the guys that, that didn't listen to Timothy. James says in chapter 5, he says, Come now, you rich. Right? You rich people, you got all this stuff. You got big bags of money and all kinds of things that you could buy with your money. He tells them to weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted. And the rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of hosts, is the alternate translation for sab something. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of want and pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. So it's almost like Paul tells Timothy, tell these guys this. And then a little time goes by and James says, hey, you guys that didn't listen, 
This is your deal with all that stuff, all that you have, because your heart was selfish. Your heart was not turned towards God's ways, towards justice, towards mercy, towards generosity. It was towards heaping all this stuff up. And some of you guys worked at HP, and you had this performance system, and you submitted yourself to getting to be a five so that you could have the bigger raise, so that you could have people tell you were wonderful, while you didn't help the other people like my word would have taught you to do. And your house is full of all the treasures of that thing, but you did not walk with Jesus. It's such a powerful rebuke, and it's something that we should look forward, not forward to the rebuke. I don't want to have the rebuke. But we should look forward and see that if we walk in a certain way, that'll never come. And if we walk in a certain other way, it will come. Because, I don't know if you've ever seen these things. It's like, you know, the, the guy in his, on his deathbed that had the huge mansion and the millions and billions of dollars never regretted that he missed a certain business meeting. He regretted the things that, that would have been scriptural, the things that he could have done with his family, for his family, for others. The regret is never for more stuff. The regret was, wow, like Finley. Finley's not here today, is he? Finley, oh, is he in the nursery? Finley Molina thought he was going to die. He's a, a fireman, a paramedic, so he knew all the signs of death on the monitors. He's thinking he's having this fatal heart attack, and he's hooked up to the machine, and his fireman buddies are like, we're taking you to the hospital, and he hears the alarms, and he knows what each one of them means. And it was like he saw his life pass before him, and he had this regret, this deep regret. It's like his words, Lord, I haven't done anything for you. If you'll give me time, I promise you, Lord, that I will serve you. That, that's his, yeah. And guess what? He's in the nursery. Praise God. How about that, huh? (laughs) He's serving a hard time. Cut that out. (laughs) First John chapter three, verses fourteen through eighteen. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love excuse me, he who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this that he had laid that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Here's a part that we really need to hear. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. See, love is it's a verb word. It's an action word. It's a sacrificial word. It's a costly word. It's... It's a word that is manifest most perfectly in someone actually sacrificing themselves for another person. There is no greater love than sacrifice, than action, than doing something. It's like, oh, I love you. Man, what's the, what's the scripture? It says, hey, if you're hungry, you know, the guy's hungry, say, hey, I'll pray for you, you know, have a good meal, hope everything goes well. When you got a sack full of food or a fridge full of food or a wallet full of money, you could have went to the grocery store with them, to the restaurant, and fed them. How does God live in our hearts if it's not manifested by meeting needs that can't be met by the person that has the need? When I, I, I struggle, Lord, show me fruit so that I know that 
all the prayers and all the time and what we're doing here makes any kind of difference at all. And I know I, I, I stroked you guys for this last week, but I just want to stroke you again that you, will you put the picture up that comes next of Corrine? See, that's Corrine on, in the tall one in the blue shirt. For those of you that don't know, that Corrine is the mom of the little boy that got murdered. She's in jail for second-degree murder. The whole thing is such a sick mess. But she's a sister in the Lord now. See, when, when you took money and put it in that basket so that her life could be better in prison, that's, that's heaven and given. That's, that is such awesome, awesome example to this scripture because, see, you didn't judge what she did or what she didn't do or how bad of a mom she was or how could she, uh, none of that stuff. You heard the Lord say that she's my daughter and I love her and she has need and you met the need. I mean, abundantly, overabundantly met the need. That is, that is fruit, fruit, awesome fruit. That's what he's talking about here. How can the love of God be in your heart if someone has a need and you have the means to meet the need? And 2 Corinthians, remember I told you 8 and 9, not to the point where, okay, now they they don't have a need and I do, to bring some level of equality so that the church, the brothers and sisters, not only get their need met, but they can feel the love of God. You know how Corrine perceives God based upon what you all did? God got glorified in that whole thing. Proverbs chapter 23. You think I never read the Old Testament, didn't you? Some of it I do. Some of it just confuses me. Okay, a lot of it confuses me. (laughs) Chapter 23, verses 4 and 5. Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it's gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings, like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. Luke chapter 12, verse verse 15. Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. How many of you would say that maybe not so much your life, but at least your identity to some extent consisted of your possessions. I, I used to have a company car. I, I, man, I, I sure miss the company car. And the gas card. I really, really miss the gas card. I used to have a company car. HP gave me a new car every single, every year. Brand new Taurus. Awesome. I mean, if I ever dreamt that I'd be a guy that drove a Taurus his whole life, I'd felt like that. That's great. No problem, Lord. I don't need more than that. And then Ford... We were Ford's largest fleet customer, other than the rent-a-car companies. And they were experimenting with these new electronics in the Lincoln Continentals. Remember, not, not the giant boat Lincoln Continentals, but the big, nice Lincoln Continentals. And they needed people to drive them. And I worked for a guy who had, like, eight guys that had the same job and then me. So he didn't have enough he could pass out. So if he gave one to one of those guys that the others wouldn't wonder, but he did have one he could pass out. And I got the Lincoln Continental. <laughs> And it came right in coincidence with, like, my 10th or 15th year high school reunion. And it wasn't even my possession. I didn't even own it. It was HP's. Probably it was Ford's. I don't know. But I was so excited to drive that Lincoln Continental to my high school reunion so that I could give the perception 
to all of my high school buddies and what a successful guy I was. Look at, man, Pat, you must be doing great. You must really, really be smart. You must be talented. You must, you must, you must. All because I could drive somebody else that's Lincoln Continental to. That's what he's talking about. Your identity, your life isn't the sum of your possessions because all that stuff can go. It goes so fast. Talk to somebody that lost their house. Talk to somebody that lost their business. Hard workers, excellent people, wealth. It was good stuff, nothing wrong with it. But you didn't own it. If you could have held on to it, you'd still have it. So the proverb says, don't even weary yourself to gain any of it. Matter of fact, I think the less weary you are to gain it, the more God's happy to give it to you. Two more scriptures and we'll be done. If you ever were looking for an awesome prayer in the Bible... Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. Think of this. Maybe this was a prayer. I don't even know. Maybe Solomon wrote it or one of the other proverb guys wrote it. What an awesome prayer. Speaking to the Lord. Two things I ask of you. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Why in the heck do you cry over this? <sighs> Feed me with the food that is my portion. That I not be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. Lord, feed me with the food that's my portion. That's all I want. Just my portion, not somebody else's portion. Don't make me be a scheming kind of guy that I'm going to get the five and they're going to get the three and I'm going to get some of their portion so I can have more portion than mine because as soon as I get the big portion, I start thinking it's all about me and I forget you. Who are you? I got this portion. I had the talent. I figured out how to screw that other guy out of it. Now it's mine. And I'm somebody. But Lord, also, don't give me so little that I feel like I need to have more and I'm going to go and steal from somebody else and profane your holy name by the actions of my life. Just let me have what's mine. Whatever it is, give us this day our daily bread. Whatever today's bread is, Lord, let me have it. Just That's enough. Teach me to think that way, Lord. Transform me by the renewing of my mind so that that is my passion to have what you have for me today. James chapter 3. See, there's a, there's a wisdom that's in the world, right? If, if, if I'm not a, a believer, a disciple of Jesus Christ, and I'm walking around in this world, I, I have a way of thinking that's wise to me. And it's the five over the three way. It's the bigger, it's the better, it's the collection. I win if I got more, you lose if you got less. It's a wisdom in this world. And then there's a wisdom that's from the kingdom that's totally opposite. Totally opposite. And James talks about, gosh, I didn't get the second part in here. Um, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. See, there's a wisdom, there's a way of thinking that we have. It's a world's way of thinking, and it's literally fed by demons. 
when, when you feel selfishness, when you feel me over somebody else, there's an influence in those thoughts that isn't God. And I would argue most of the time probably isn't even you. It's demonic. And it's not kingdom wisdom. Give me a second. I'm going to look up the rest of that verse. Verse 17. That was quick, wasn't it? He's electronic Bible something. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. All these scriptures teach us how to perceive wealth, how to perceive money, what to lust after and what not to lust after. The process of actually having any of that happen is the transformation that happens by the renewing of our minds. Romans chapter 12, I'll get this close, but I won't get it exactly right. It says, Therefore, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and something, and acceptable, and, and that this would be your spiritual act of service or worship. And then it goes on to say, and be no longer conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think differently. You have to think differently to see the kingdom such that you may prove what is the will of God, that which is perfect and acceptable and something. That's it. Look at you. Well done, computer guy. First time up there. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That's it. That's the prayer. Because we have a minute. One of the most awesome things I ever saw, like a discipling thing I ever saw, was in a small group meeting at our house one time. And we had these friends. uh, The wife worked for a person who was really struggling. She owned a business, uh, but she had drug problems. She's, uh, you know, marriage had been broken up and just a real a mess on the inside. But she's kind of shiny and nice on the outside. And she finally agreed to come to the small group meeting. And we're having the meeting, and man, I'll tell you what, if you ever saw somebody that looked like they felt a thousand miles out of place, it was this lady. And just literally in the middle of whatever was going on, she just goes off, and she's like, you're all going to tell me that I need to be a Christian, but I don't want to be a Christian because I want to smoke my cigarettes, and you're going to tell me that I can't have my cigarettes, and and I don't want to be a Christian if I can't have my cigarettes. Just blew up, just right out of the middle of nowhere. And one of the guys in our meeting, really, you know, mature guy, huge discipling influence on Teresa and I, waits till she gets done. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, what do we do? And he just looks at her, he says, smoke your cigarettes. Smoke one, smoke ten, smoke a pack, smoke a carton, smoke ten cartons. It doesn't matter. Smoke all the cigarettes you want. Just seek Jesus. Just seek Jesus. That's all. Don't worry about it. Smoke camels no filters it doesn't matter (laughs) i'm like that's just so brilliant because all this stuff doesn't happen unless you seek jesus and 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 if you will seek jesus sincerely 
then the transformation happens. Because in the humility of seeking Jesus comes the grace for change. If we could make this change just because we wanted to, then Jesus wasted a trip to the cross. Right? All the good ones would go to heaven and all the bad ones would go to hell and the thing would sort itself out and it would be done. No problem. Eternity would just be however it was supposed to be. But nobody, nobody could do it. And God can do it. But he doesn't violate our free will. So we have to choose to be transformed. Humility to choose brings grace from heaven, which ignites the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us to be transformed. Hallelujah. That's it. Someday I'm going to learn how to land a sermon, like just how to be done other than saying, see ya. Oh my gosh, what a screwy place this is. Amen. All right, well, let's pray. If you could pray this prayer sincerely, I'm telling you, you'll be just so amazed. I'm sure probably bunches of you already have. Father God, thank you for life. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Holy Spirit. Thank you for mission. Thank you for the opportunity to serve. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to make a difference in this world. Thank you for the opportunity to be changed from glory to glory to glory to glory into the likeness of Jesus. I can be like Jesus because your power is inside of me. We can be like Jesus because your power is inside of us. Father, we come to you today humbly asking to be like Jesus. We ask that mammon would not be our God, wealth would not be our God. Lord, that we wouldn't stumble and trip, that we wouldn't find coveting and desiring of wealth to be anything that mattered. That your kingdom and your righteousness in us and through us and about us and because of us, Lord, would be what we're about. Just like Jesus, he was like 12 years old and he said, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? Lord, help us to desire to be about your business. We seek to be transformed, to think differently. Lord, if I never have an original thought ever again in my life, maybe I've never even had one, I don't know, but if I never have another one, I'm okay with it, that every thought would come from your heart. Every thought, Lord. You have permission to take my heart and my mind and make them like Jesus. I just declare, Father, in Jesus' name, that we will be a city on a hill. Maybe we're a city with only one or two candles on a little hill, Lord, but we're going to be a brightly lit city on a very tall hill. And the people are going to be drawn to you through our love for one another, through our walking as disciples, in faith, in truth, Lord, that we are going to be about your business. We're already about your business, but we're going to be more about your business as we submit ourselves to the transformation that comes from the renewing of our minds. So I pray a blessing over every person here and every person, Lord, that couldn't come here today or even the ones that didn't come here today, Lord. I pray a blessing over everyone that each and every one of us would have the opportunities and that we wouldn't 
run from the opportunities. We'd be like the soldier that runs into the battle, not away from the battle. Just like Selah. Just like Josiah. Just like you would have us to do. And I pray it to you, Lord Jesus, in your name. And to you, Father God, in his name. Amen.